Welcome to Work Inspired. This podcast is produced by BOS, one of the largest commercial furniture dealerships in North America. Before I introduce today's incredible guest, I wanna give you a quick breakdown of our industry. In contract furniture, there are four or five major manufacturers globally. In the United States, those majors align with dealers to bring their products to market. Hayworth is one of those major manufacturers, and for over 70 years, Hayworth has partnered with BOS to serve clients and create thousands of workspaces. We are both founded in 1948, and BOS is proud to not only be Hayworth's first dealer partner, but also consistently one of their top dealer partners globally. On today's episode, you're going to meet the main man himself, Matthew Hayworth, chairman of Hayworth, Inc. If you're looking for an incredibly insightful and knowledgeable perspective on returning to the workplace and the future of work, you've come to the right place. Let's get this episode started. Matthew, thank you so much for being here. I've been so excited for this conversation. Really appreciate you donating some of your valuable time to our show. George, you're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. I already always love engaging with the marketplace, with the folks at BOS, with you, your dad. It's fun. Well, most most people in our industry are very familiar with you and your family. But for those who are listening who may be not as familiar or don't have the background on you personally in your story, I was hoping we could start with you just giving a little bit of a background, your kind of your career, your professional story, how you got to where you're at now and what you're currently doing with Hayworth. Yeah, I'd love to share that. I uh, grew up in the business before the age of 10 playing in a factory about a mile from our current headquarters. Uh, and it had a car battery powered scooter that went about five miles per hour, had a horn. And when you're not yet 10, that's a pretty cool little toy. And so when dad would go in on the weekends, I said, please take me. And he did. And that's how I got to know our employees in the factory. And they always treated me well. Um, before the uh, age of 10, grandpa, uh, gave me my first office that I really thought I was working at Hayworth. Uh, I found out later back then we had a lot of periodicals, magazines, books, and it was a very small 10 by 10 library made with carpet wall, then one of our two products back in the 70s. Uh, I then began to learn what we did throughout high school. I started on this campus, this site on the other side of the wall that abuts our uh, offices at the global headquarters making work surfaces with a reverberating air hammer, uh, a vacuum sealed um, spindle table, foot control that you could rotate larger work surfaces to manage it a little bit better. I did that for several summers through just different production sites. Um, because of the criticality of distribution in the dealer network and the role that you play being so important to bring value to our customers, I went down and post-university getting a, a business degree. I went to Seattle where Boeing was our biggest customer and I did uh, receiving into the warehouse or on job sites, installation, um, takeoffs uh, before really a lot of uh, computer-aided design um, support. So we did a lot of component counts with highlighters and things like that to make sure our work was accurate. I shadowed salespeople, did accounts payable. I did that same rotation uh, in Washington, D.C., where different federal um, agencies were our customers. Then I went and sold directly for four years in Atlanta uh, and learned a lot about the different influences are in our industry, uh, not just across different influencer types, but within a client themselves, from HR to purchasing. Uh, historically, IT has often gotten involved. And as much fun as all of those roles were, and as much as I learned, they weren't what I went to school for. And so with the birth of our first child, both grandparents are here in the Holland, West Michigan area, we got to come back. And I went into what I love to do, which is to develop products, 
build teams, uh, and really, uh, in the marketing sense, define more powerfully what we believe in, what we stand for, and how we can communicate that across our touch points more consistently. And after leading our largest business unit for several years to, to market share gains and growth, being our workstation unit, uh, my dad came to me in 2008 and asked me to prepare to take on more responsibility to be the chairman. Uh, he thought it, it would be time. And while I wasn't in a hurry to do that, uh, with three children being global and the travel that requires, I believe, to do the job thoughtfully and well, uh, I thought it's just not right for me to delay my mom and dad's next step together for myself. They've given me everything. And so I said I would be proud and honored to do that. And then in uh, April of 2009, we announced it. It was a little sooner than I thought. Dad came to me right in the middle of the, the last major downturn where we contracted 33% from September of 2008 to March of 2009. And he said, Matt, I like the strategy. I like our officer team. You and Frank are both you know, very talented. I'm ready. You're ready. Let's do it. He said, the only thing negative is the economy. But, you know, out of the criteria, most of them are green lighted. Let's do it. And it was really, in retrospect, a good thing because all my comparables since then have been great. So it makes me look really good to the family. <laughs> yeah, it's it's as someone who has also kind of grown up in this industry, um, you obviously did it on a much larger scale. But your perspective is certainly very developed, very well-rounded. You've seen this business, this industry from all different perspectives. I love that you had an office at 10. That's great. Um, but, but bringing us up into this, this point in time and the last 14 months, I think that experience is so relevant. And some of the questions I'm going to ask you on your perspective and what you're hearing and what you're thinking and planning for, I think are all very much shaped by that incredible background that you've got. So thanks for sharing that. Um, as it, as it relates to, this current part, you know, period in time where, you know, hopefully coming out of the pandemic, uh, as we record now in, um, in 2021, um, looking back a year as, 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 as COVID-19 kind of came on very suddenly and people went from very much working in commercial interiors to in large part being forced into their homes to work. What, what, what was Hayworth's perspective on that as people, you know, from, from a leader in commercial interiors to a situation where most people were then now working in home at home, how did Hayworth handle that? I think that this just accelerated trends that had been around for many years, almost a decade, the criticality and availability to be untethered from a PC probably hit critical mass around 2012. It started well before that, uh, but the advent of wireless coverage, wireless speed, wireless security, um, thin screen technology that allowed us to have laptops and tablets and mobile devices, the work from anywhere has been around for a long time. This may have accelerated uh, the adoption of those tool sets uh, to more organizations. And as we talk to our clients, they right now, the consensus is, and there's a, a quite a bit of variation, but more of the organizations I speak to believe it'll be more similar than dissimilar to, to what it was before COVID-19. 
they certainly do acknowledge that there will be a higher percentage offsite at any given time uh, and that that'll be more acceptable, but they do believe that there is great value in conversations that just work better in terms of working together in person, seeing each other, not only for the culture of the organization and for productivity, but also there is some downside to making your home, which has historically been a sanctuary, your work environment. And so there's not just the side for the business about the productivity, but what's the negativity, if any, on having um, your home now be your exclusive work environment? And so what we see and have seen was the acceleration of what already existed there. You could do your emails while pumping gas or in the future charging your car. Um, but this just accelerated it. And because of that, we had already taken a lot of actions to develop product portfolios that were appropriate for hospitality, for third spaces, for centralized locations in the home. We began to build our muscles and our channels with our dealers to be able to service people at home through programs for global accounts or for the individual worker. And we've just built on that and accelerated those solution sets in both products, but also in channel and delivery to meet the, this changing world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when we talk to customers, we see it seems that there's two conversations happening. One is the short term return to work and a largely around safety um, and bringing people back in a safe way. And this is something we've been talking about now, even since the big pandemic started, because clearly not everybody could work from home. And so organizations have been putting in place policies, products, solutions that did as, as well as it could adhere to CDC guidelines and, and make it a safe place to work. Um, from, a, from a safety perspective, has Hayworth um, you know, put in place any of these types of strategies to make, it, uh, to make it easier for people to come back into the office on a short-term basis? Yes, we've um, really done a lot of best practice work with our clients with other industry influencer groups, such as property management firms, learning from our dealers. And I believe we have a world-class approach to safety. And that's really borne out in the numbers. If you look at about 8,000 members around the world, both in production that have needed to come in throughout um, uh, COVID, as well as office and remote sales locations, our COVID positivity percentage out of our population in any given community is much lower than the communities we're a part of. And what that says to me is with good protocols and with a, an employee or a member group that are passionate about honoring those protocols, it, work is one of the safest places you can be. It's a more controlled environment. We know what it takes to be safe, and we love to share that with our clients if they have any remaining questions at this point. And so I think actually having a work environment and reason to go to work actually in that makes any individual safer than they would need in their general life going to the grocery store, et cetera. And that's and the numbers bear it out. Are any of these kind of safety precautions or safety protocols that have been put in place things that you think will stick around you know, beyond the next few months? Are there any ones that you think are going to be more permanent changes to the workplace? I don't believe so. Um, and, uh, and to some degree, culturally, I hope not. I mean, one of the simplest uh, that I actually have enjoyed is, will the handshake come back as an example? Uh, and, and whether it's a handshake or in other countries and other cultures, it's, it's a different symbolism of welcome, of respect. I, I hope we go back to those because I think they serve historically a good relationship building purpose. 
And I just hope over time with the vaccine that we go back to uh, more similar than dissimilar. Uh, you know, I don't know if the handshake will be part of that, as I've heard a lot of people talk about. But I don't believe there's any reason long term once we get beyond this that we need to keep uh, some of these restrictions in place. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk about long-term because I talked about two conversations that we're hearing and one is that safety aspect, which we all hope is a short-term conversation and short-term changes to get us through the end of the pandemic. But post-pandemic, what are some of the longer-term impacts? You talked about um, the work from anywhere and I want to dive a little deeper into that uh, in a little bit here, but as, as it relates to the workspace you know, specifically, what are some of the things that you think will be more permanent changes as it relates to the future of the workplace? Well, as we shared earlier in your questions, what we're hearing is that there is uh, the current belief by our customer base that uh, there's great value in coming together in person. Uh, this does, the inverse of that is that individual work is more confirmed to be able to be done remotely. So, the greater reason to come in is for collaborative work and that had started already. So I do think you're going to see a greater importance place on collaboration uh, and really Hayworth and BOS's unique ability to understand collaboration for what purpose. That's a very broad term, but there are very unique reasons and typologies needed to support different collaborative modes. So are we really here to, to think and strategize and plan that requires certain kinds of spaces? Is this a group that needs to deliver a project in a war room, for lack of a better term, and a, a project delivery uh, collaborative space is very different. Uh, is it really more, more traditional exchange of information, a classroom, a conference room to communicate formal information, or is it really social to build relationship? And so each of those spaces, you need to understand how many of them you need, uh, what types you need, and then how do I deliver on them? And so we have deep knowledge around it. And I think that'll be more important as it already was becoming prior to this. So I think really a greater mix of collaborative spaces relative to individual work and really the requirement to make sure they're really a useful tool and that they do the job they're intended to do so that the space really helps people be as effective as they can be. One of the things that Hayworth does incredibly well is help companies identify their culture type and then create a, a working environment that fits and optimizes for that, that culture type. Do you see based off of the culture types that Hayworth has identified, does the, does the culture of an organization uh, have an impact on what their return to workplace or their post pandemic workplace uh, might look like? I, yes, I, I believe um, culture types are a great foundation in understanding where the culture is, helping inform the decision makers around real estate and space, and then not just what they are and diagnosing it, but where do they want to be and making sure that comes from the employees versus an assumption by the management. You'll be surprised how often the, the leadership team thinks they are or are moving towards a certain culture, but the uh, employees don't feel they're very far on that journey and they have a long way to go beyond space. It can include behaviors and policy changes, as an example. If you want to be 
a little bit more um, creative uh, and developmental and reinvention and move away from hierarchy, but you have policies that everybody still has to have their electronic tools approved by the CEO, you know, that's in direct conflict with that journey. So you need space to be able to underpin that, but also policy and behavior. Um, and so I do think that uh, cultures is a great place to start uh, to move an organization forward to deliver on their strategy. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, COVID and the crisis and what will things be in the future. Really, one other thing that this gives me great confidence is our organic workspace approach to listen to each client, each project uniquely. Where do they want commonality for employee experience, brand, customer touch points? But where does each project or subspace need to be different? And that's really that promise to deliver that great, efficient real estate with an effective workspace. That has really been validated through this COVID. It's really this, this COVID test, if you will, on stress testing Hayworth, our dealers and our clients has really reconfirmed for me that our strategy, our values, our approach to a space with organic workspace is really spot on and robust. And it was really bringing value prior, but it continued to do so, so through that. So I think that's another great outcome for our clients and for our dealers in Hayworth through this is it validates a lot of our pillars and philosophies of approach to bring value to the market. One of the things you talked about was the uh, how COVID has accelerated some of the change that was coming and that had been developing over the course of the last number of years, but it just really, really sped it up in, in the course of the last 12 months. And something Hayworth is known for is its global perspective. You guys have, you know, uh, manufacturing capabilities and members throughout the world. And that's one, one of the ways that Hayworth is unique in, in the products that you develop and bring to market. Have you seen when talking to um, different regions, different countries, different teams around the world, is there, is there an opportunity now because we've you know, we, we've advanced our, our capabilities with technology. We're a lot more comfortable uh, connecting to people through a digital space. Do you think that we're going to be in a situation post-pandemic where we feel a little bit more connected globally and we can, we can really leverage some of those, you know, those learnings and, and some of that knowledge from around the world? I do think that, that there's a lot of silver linings in this. And, you know, we felt we did a good job communicating with our stakeholders, uh, particularly our employees around the world. I traveled a lot prior to COVID to have that in-person meeting. And I think that'll still be part of my return to work approach. But we also began to reach out digitally as you're doing here, George, with this podcast that you've been doing for quite some time. And we've added a richness and a regularity and a reach to more employees or members as we call them than we would have before. And we've done the same thing with the marketplace. We have now have a digital neocon. So you can not only come to your hometown for neocon and June traditionally, uh, but now people that can't travel in an office or used to go every other year can experience that. The House of Hayworth through related to ICFF in New York, now that can be get visited not just by North Americans, but globally. So there's been a great um, acceleration and advantages and those new capabilities we're gonna keep going forward. And you're right, globality brings a lot of advantages, I think. You know, not all the best ideas are out of West Michigan. Our global headquarters were unique in that we have um, four design sites around the world in Shanghai, Germany, Italy, and West Michigan. Uh, that we see how people work in Australia, the Netherlands, New Zealand, India, China, as well as North America. And that can bring great value to our clients and when we share how that happens. 
relative to COVID, it also helped us prepare here in North America because we have facilities in China. We saw it in December, January, uh, and then Italy had hit next, and we have four plants in the Lombardy region, as well as our um, residential headquarters being in Milan. And that helped give us, you know, 30, 60 days of preparation here in North America as COVID hit here. And so there's a lot of unforeseen advantages by partnering with a global manufacturer in consideration of a work environment. Yeah, I, I, I think that perspective is really important, especially as we, you know, I, I, I it seems to me that there is direction and that there is, uh, as you said, you're starting to get some glimpses as, as to kind of what is what is post-pandemic workplace look like? But a lot of people are still asking that question. So I think your perspective from other regions and and all the knowledge that you're able to gather, I think, is is really helping to lead that charge. Uh, one of the interesting conversations we've had, too, is and you've probably seen or heard, you know, the conversations around how how working remotely is working, right? Companies thought, you know, the reason it didn't take off beforehand, before the pandemic was companies didn't think it, it was possible, but then they were forced into it. And, um, and, and they're hearing from their teams that some of them prefer it. And, uh, and, and so from a, an employee attraction and retention standpoint, that's one of the reasons why people invested in workspaces, you know, before the pandemic was, was, to, to create great teams, to keep people, uh, you know, within the company, to hire the best talent. Um, I just read an article today saying there's a number of tech startups now that are saying, we actually think that the workplace is still, that that's the reason we want to create a workplace. You know, uh, there's maybe something lost when it's work from home. It might be more convenient for some people, but but in order to really create a great culture and and to build a great team and keep that team together, the workplace is still kind of central to that. Is that Hayworth's belief? Do you do you or or, or as we come out of the pandemic, is is the ability for a company to offer remote working going going to be more of a perk than having a really really great place to come to work to? I, I don't think they're in conflict at all. I think that there will be a greater um, proportion of availability through employers to do work remotely. Uh, and I think spaces are going to be really critical. And in many ways, this is actually revalidated that space is important. In our studies through Leesman, as well as our primary research we've done ourselves, this has been confirmed. And interestingly, it's a little counterintuitive in one sense that you would think younger people are more comfortable, I would say, generically with technology than more experienced workforce. But actually, they've struggled from our research, from what we've seen the most with this. They miss community. A lot of them, that's where they build their social network. Uh, they want mentoring. Uh, and so I think that to your point, to attract and retain the best, Many of what we've seen is short term, uh, the newer employees, the younger employees, the fresh outs, as we call them, they're craving a centralized experience more even than the experienced employee base. So so I, I think that that's going to be critical. And you know, we're seeing that commitment to centralized spaces. Amazon's taking on more spaces throughout North America and the world. Google's doing that. We just saw the announcement from Apple for about 2,000 people doing research in the Carolinas. And so you're seeing, you know, branded companies we're very familiar with that have great technology capabilities confirming that there is no replacement for in-person meetings and in-person spaces. I think you're absolutely right. It's not one or the other. The more conversations we have, the more we're hearing, it's going to be a mix. It's going to be a balance of both. It's going to be flexibility um, as it relates to that. And 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 you mentioned the, the work from anywhere uh, campaign that Hayworth has rolled out. Um, 
What advice do you have to employers who are trying to make some decisions around making their spaces or their, their uh, work strategy more flexible? You know, my observations of more successful projects is for the organization to understand the biggest levers they have that may be going on at any given time. It would be what is their corporate strategy? What is the brand they want to convey? What is their customer experience? Experience, their member experience or employment experience they want to develop. Uh, if they have an ERP going on, which may seem like what, what's the connection to ERP, because that really should be a great time for the business to decide how it wants to run and the ERP system should serve them, not they uh, kind of have to be um, restrained by what the system can do. And so if you can take those biggest drivers and then allow that to be tied directly to the manifestation of those drivers in your physical space. Uh, it'll underpin that. And really, space is one of the most tangible things that can reflect values, strategy, uh, the direction. And then once you do that work with an informed group that represents different stakeholders, you form that point of view with great partners like BOS and Hayworth. Uh, the architectural community, the interior design community, and then you solve for applications, floor plates, campuses, buildings that deliver on that. And if you want to involve and change manage your employee base or your stakeholder base, you only offer them solution sets that deliver on really supporting those strategies, those values, and those experiences you wanted. And then you change manage them and give them the logic why you're doing what you're doing. And you can even let them begin to have influence on some component, but making sure that all of those um, choices they have to impact it, all make sure that they support applications that, that really deliver that value that has been predefined. And when I see that happen, those spaces tend to be working for all stakeholders at a very high level for years to come. Hmm. As it relates to, to real estate specifically, if as companies evaluate what this flexible future might look like, some of them are saying we might have people in the office three days a week instead of five days a week and maybe not be at full capacity ever. Um, what do you say to facility leaders who are trying to make space decisions right now as far as planning, whether they're considering consolidation or expansion or reconfiguration? Do you see the need for an organization as it relates to space changing at all as compared to before the pandemic? Um, and it's going to be up to each organization. You know, what are they going to require or offer relative to how many days a week? If, if they, you know, if they say you only got to be in three days, but everybody still picks the same three days, there's really not the ability to consolidate individual space much other than shrinking each space a little bit. Um, you're not really going to eliminate it because when we've seen that, we've talked to a lot of companies that directionally do that. What It's not a surprise. People tend to want to come in generally Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. They don't come in Monday and Friday. And if you're not going to have a way to manage that, then you're going to still have on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're going to be near 100% capacity or at peak capacity, let's call it. And so you really don't get much of an opportunity to reduce the overall space because, because your peak time really hasn't changed the number of people available. So you have to think about those policies. Do you have a way to flatten the density and the population influx at any given time during the week? Uh, and, and that'll inform you to what's available for the space. Well, I certainly appreciate all this perspective. It sounds like you're optimistic about where the commercial interiors industry is heading um, after a very 
tumultuous, you know, 14 months. Um, but, uh, I think as we, as I've heard on other, you know, uh, with other interviews with other guests, it seems like there are going to be, um, some opportunities for growth. You you call it silver linings. I, I think that we're in a period where, uh, some great change could be ushered in because of what we've just gone through. So, uh, thank you for sharing your perspective, Matthew. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to finish by just asking you a couple personal questions, uh, as it relates to your professional life and, uh, and experience. Mm-hmm. The first being, is there a certain resource that's been extremely valuable to you throughout your career that you could recommend to others? Uh, there's a lot of resources, but one is, I think, uh, a self-developed organizational resource that is invaluable to me. And that is to really understand your belief system that you share with your stakeholders, particularly your employees. So uh, in 1976, we were ready to experience a lot of growth after being in business 28 years. And we had not written down our value system or the principles with which we operate because we had felt that the employees and uh, the leadership team, my father, my grandfather had such daily interaction that we conveyed the values that way. But once you began to explode in growth, have a greater population later becoming globally, we couldn't count on that and probably never should have. And so we met in the mid seventies under the leadership of my father with our employees. And we developed our, what we first called the Hayworth creed, Uh, And we wrote down what we believed in and how we would treat the stakeholders in good times and in bad times. We set very high expectations for each other, which I think is healthy. Uh, We've evolved that. The the value system has stayed the same, but we've tried to simplify it so people can more easily get their arms around it. We've uh, edited it for words that have lost their meaning, become overused, uh, new words that are synonyms, but really connect better with the new generation. Uh, and we've, we have learned some things that we've embedded into that as we've evolved, but they're really largely the same. So I think values as a foundation are the most important resource an organization and a leader can have uh, as a rudder uh, to steer you through the good times and the storms uh, of what you're going to go through in life. Yeah, I mean, as a 72-year-old company that's family-based, and that's one of your three core pillars is that family that family. Um, foundation. I think Hayworth has done a really great job of, of keeping that ingrained within the culture, even as you've scaled up and become much larger and gone global. So congratulations on your success with that. Um, as it relates to leadership, uh, you work with many different leaders within your own company and with, within many companies around the world. What are some of the characteristics that you've seen that effective leaders share? Values and integrity first. Uh, and then really someone that sees possibilities in all types of situations, because that brings hope and energy. Uh, so you want, yes, you know, people that see what can be done and dream big and set high bars, uh, decisiveness, um, uh, you know, intelligence, good emotional quotient, uh, and really attitude. Those are some of the things that I look for uh, in a leader. I know you're passionate about education and, um, and you guys do a great job of that within your organization as it relates to a mentor mentoree type of a relationship. If you were retiring today, what's one piece of advice or a morsel of wisdom that you'd leave behind, uh, to those who would be stepping into your shoes? You know, it really ties with the previous question and that is know what you believe in as an individual 
And as part of your selection process where you're going to put your life's energy and time, make sure that the organization has a belief system, a value system that is really compatible with yours. You won't eliminate all the tension because first, an organization isn't perfect. The employee member isn't going to be perfect, but it'll minimize discord and increase the probability that as potential uh, conflicts or misalignment occur, you're going to work through it. And when you reflect back on your time with that organization, I think you're going to be more satisfied and prouder of that. So I think to really consider what does the organization, and then cross-check it on your interviews. Uh, They can write something on the internet or on a document, but really question how do they live it and, and see is there consistency as you often in an interview process uh, get to touch point uh, with more than one person, you want to make sure that that is consistent, that they're aware of it and and brought up regularly. Um, I also think when you first start out early in your career to find those people that make a difference, that live the values the most and are doing well in the business environment and watching what they do, asking them maybe to be your mentor or certainly emulating them is a really great thing to do to accelerate the value you can bring to an organization and the respect you're going to be able to earn, which will give you the trust to be able to use your best ideas to improve the organization and create a win-win for all stakeholders. Great advice and great perspective. Matthew, it's been such an honor. I mean, it's an honor for BOS to be able to uh, serve as a, as a Hayworth dealership. Um, But just such a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you so much for your time and for your perspective. You're welcome, George. And thank you to you and the BOS team. Let's have a lot of fun together. And that means bringing unprecedented value to the marketplace. And I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take a moment to rate our show. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the Work Inspired podcast so that you don't miss any of the incredible guests we have planned for upcoming episodes. We'll continue to find the best and brightest minds in business so that you can learn, grow, and succeed, and so that we can all work inspired. Work Inspired is brought to you by BOS, a leader in commercial working environments and a Hayworth best-in-class dealership. Experience our 360 approach and discover the team, tools, and techniques required to navigate the complexity of your next workspace at BOS.com. If you have ideas, feedback, or would like to be featured on our show, please email podcast at BOS.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a Workspace Digital production. If you're interested in launching a podcast at your organization, please email info at workspace.digital for a free consultation.